0: actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to run your nonprofit more like a business? Well, Social Impact 360 is offering a new course specifically for nonprofit professionals to apply business skills and methodologies to their daily work. Save $50 off your registration with code BOSSEDUP at socialimpact360.org slash class. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 36. I'm your host, Bossed Up's founder and CEO, Emily Aries. And before we dive in, a couple of housekeeping announcements for those of you who want to hang with me and get bossed up in real life. I've got some upcoming trainings I want to make sure you're invited to. Later this month in Denver on July 28th, I'm hosting my signature day-long training for women who want to up their public speaking, training, and curriculum development game. This is where I share basically everything I've learned in the past five years of growing Bossed Up as a business and becoming a professional speaker who gets paid To share my message. If that sounds like something you'd like to learn more about, head to slash trainer team or find those details in the link in today's show notes. I'm hosting that training here in Denver, July 28th, and then again in New York City, September 22. So save the date. And as you've heard me talk about before, bossed up bootcamp, our signature weekend long training program for women who are navigating career transition and want to get bossed up with a holistic approach to career, love, wellness, the whole shebang. We've got two more opportunities for you to get bossed up at bootcamp this year coming up soon. September 29th and 30th will be in Washington, DC. And then again, November 17th and 18th in Los Angeles, California. And I will be announcing our new round of dates and cities to bring Bossed Up Bootcamp to in 2019 very soon. So stay tuned and make sure you're an email insider at bossedup.org if you want to be in the know. Now, today's episode we have for you is a really fun one. And we'll be tackling a topic that feels like it's at the top of mind for so many women, especially women of a certain age. I am 30 years old, and so a lot of my fellow 30-something women have started to weigh the decision of whether or not they want to have kids, and if so, with who? (laughs) And if yes, with this person, then how we're going to make that happen, and When is the right time? For ambitious women crushing it in their careers, navigating that obstacle course is a challenge enough. So, when you layer on top of it the question of okay, well, when should I have a kid? And how are we gonna make that happen while I'm trying to make all these other things that I wanna have happen in my life a priority as well? Now, obviously, it's not all on women to figure this out, unless you and the person you're raising a child with also happens to be a woman. But in a world where full-time working women are still doing twice the amount of housework and childcare duties than even the most well-intentioned full-time working man, it's no surprise that these kinds of choice moments feel like they really fall on our shoulders as women to figure out. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm saying that's how it is for a lot of women, and I think even men who are navigating big career leaps have to take into consideration the timing of making such leaps with the timing of starting a family. So one of the questions I get through the Bossed Up community, especially because we're so focused on helping women navigating career transition and making career changes happen, is can I do this while I'm navigating major family transitions? (laughs) Like, should I just hold my job constant while I start my family and mess with those variables? Or is it okay to change it all up at the same time? And are we just overthinking it by trying to pretend like, you know, children need a perfectly stable, constant state of mom's work life or dad's work life? Because for my amazing guest today, that's not what her reality looked like when it came to having a child. And you know what? Not only is her kid pretty kick ass, but this amazing candidate who I'm interviewing on the podcast today is on the cusp of breaking barriers and making history this November. So stick around because she's got a lot to say but first, let's hear this week's listener-submitted career conundrum that set off this whole conversation.
1: Hi, Emily. Uh, my name is Kate, and I'm calling from the New York City area. I never really thought too much about like a long-term plan for my career. And as I got into my 30s, I started really wanting to make a transition out of my current position. But I'm also newly married, and my husband and I want to start a family, but I feel like I can't make the transition at the same time as wanting to start a family. I don't want to be that person that has a kid, you know, nine months after we start at a new position. So, I'm just wondering if you have any advice on doing both at the same time and, you know, how to navigate going through looking for a job while also being that person that is looking to be taking time off and having a focus outside of work on a new baby and doing that transition as well.
0: Kate, I love this question. I'm so glad you asked it because it pertains to women in so many different sectors. But as we continue this month's focus on crafting a career with purpose and especially sitting down with women in the public sector and the nonprofit sector... I'm excited to be joined by today's guest, who's going to help me shed light on this really important question about considering when to have babies and when to navigate big career shifts. With me here today is Deb Holland, a single mom based in Albuquerque, New Mexico who's running for Congress after successfully making it through a Democratic primary in which she defeated five other Democratic competitors in June. She's now poised to become the first ever Native American woman to serve in the United States Congress, And that's not the only thing that's going to make her candidacy so critically important at a time when I firmly believe our legislative bodies have to reflect our actual community members, our actual citizens, and the diverse experiences that we have in this country. On top of understanding what life is like for Native people and being an outspoken advocate on issues like Standing Rock and rights for folks living on reservations or just in rural parts of this country, she also knows what it's like to be poor— According to the Huffington Post, Holland describes the childhood of used clothes, working at a bakery for $1.95 an hour, and later in life, even being denied food stamps for Thanksgiving. She didn't go on to college until she was 28 years old, in part because that wasn't the experience that was laid out before her. Her parents, who were both in the military, never ended up going to college. And later in life, when Deb did, she ended up not only getting a degree in English, but also getting a law degree, starting her own business, going on to serve as an attorney, and now running for office all while raising a child on her own. I think her experience as a single mom navigating career transition, investing in her own education, and bossing up personally and professionally is an experience we need more of our legislators to have, to understand, because there are so many ways our public policies can better support people whose lives might not look like the nuclear family of the 1950s. And on top of her own personal experiences, Holland is also a political veteran. She served as the chair of the Arizona Democratic Party from 2015 to 2017. She served as the Native American vote director for President Obama's reelection campaign in 2012 on top of nearly two decades of volunteering for Democratic campaigns. I love seeing activists turn into candidates this year as we continue this month's series on incredible women crafting careers with purpose and passion. Deb, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to chat with you.
2: I'm very excited
0: to be here. So, Deb, your historic candidacy positions you to be potentially the first Native American ever to serve in Congress. What does that mean to you?
2: Of course, I would be so honored to be in Congress, to represent the people of New Mexico's first congressional district. I would be honored to be, you know, the first Native American woman in Congress. More important than that, I should say, is that I am just a regular person. (laughs) I, you know, my parents never even graduated from college. They're not connected in any way. I'm here because I worked really hard and I am proud to represent, you know, I'm a product of public schools. I'm proud to represent working people, single yeah. moms, Native women. And so I feel like my representation means a lot more than than just, you know, being the first Native woman, but that I'm actually... Truly representative of most of the people here in District One, working people who want to raise to the minimum wage, who are working hard to try to make ends meet, raise their families, who want good schools for their kids to go to. In that respect, I'm very proud also. So I want to pick back on what you said about how you're
0: just like any other American and how much you really represent the American story. Take us back to when you were first getting started. I love that ad that your campaign is running that showcases your background as a a salsa entrepreneur and a single mom before going to law school. Tell us how you made all of those career leaps. Would you take me back?
2: I had my daughter when I was 34 years old. I Mm -hmm. actually had her four days after I graduated with my undergraduate degree from UNM. So I was fresh out of college. Uh, had my daughter four days later. And just a few days after that, I'm exaggerating. It was probably a week <sighs> after that, I started my, the job I had, I started back again to, and I would just take my baby with me to work. And, wow. you know, that's kind of hard because you're really tired after you, you have a baby. Yeah. It's just takes a lot out of you. So I just felt like all I was doing was sleeping taking care of my baby and going to work. There was nothing else in my world that I could possibly do. And so I, you know, as a single mom, I when my daughter got a little bit older, I said, what can I do where I can take her with me? I did not want to put her in daycare. And so that's when I started my salsa company. And so I could travel around the state delivering salsa, going to food shows with my daughter in tow. And that's kind of how she grew up. In, in a way, driving around in a I, we had a GMC safari van back then, and uh, <laughs> she was with me pretty much twenty four seven and that's we learned the alphabet, driving on the roads of New Mexico and reading the signs and things like that. So I made the most out of my time always made the most out of my time with her. I feel like that's one way that we're seeing women make it work
0: in a country that still doesn't provide. The kinds of affordable childcare or real protections around parental leave that so many other industrialized nations do. We're seeing women pursue entrepreneurship for the flexibility it affords. Is that what, what it was like for you? Yes,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And likewise, when I started law school in 2003, my daughter, by that time, she was nine years old she went with me half the time. I'd pick her up from school. And if I had evening classes, she would go to school with me. It seemed like she spent a great deal of her time around law students and law professors. And so when it was (laughs) time for her to start college, she kind of already felt like she'd been in college for a long time. For me, it was my life was I never did anything really, unless I could take her with me. Yeah, she became my priority.
0: Well, one thing I want to ask you is what is your take on Kate's career conundrum then? Because, of course, Kate is calling in with a different set of circumstances in that she has a married partner with whom she's hoping to start a family soon. And she's worried about navigating a career transition. But it sounds like there was no mulling it over. You were just going to figure out how to make it work. Do you have any advice for her based on your experience in that seat?
2: Sure. Well, for me, I was a single mom when I had my child. And I mean, that was really a choice for me. I, when you're 34 and you're like, Hmm, am I getting too old to have a child? You know, you make a decision and that was my decision. And so for me, I built my life around my child. I didn't go anywhere unless, I mean, she became, she was just my priority. And so I think that is really what most parents will realize once they have a child, And all I could say really is that if they want to have a child, it's a joint decision at that point because they're in this life together. So both of them will talk about it and agree that, yes, this is the way we want to go. And perhaps at that point, because she has a partner, he will say, well, I'll step up for a while. I'll be the breadwinner. You'll be able to stay home for a while until the baby becomes a certain age. And I think the family leave uh, medical act, he might be able to take some time off also. I've known some parents together who have, she's taken the first two months off and then she goes back to work and then he takes two months off to take care of the baby because the baby's still a small infant child. And then by that time, you know, the baby's four or five months old and they might feel a little more comfortable about putting the child in daycare or she decides to stay home for maybe the first 2 years of the baby's life I breastfed my daughter mm-hmm. because I felt that was much healthier for her and I breastfed her for almost 2 years mm-hmm. and so uh, it was important to me even if I did put her in daycare once in a while or maybe my mom watched her when I you know really had to do you know some other things with my company that I could pump and, you know, my mom could use a bottle. All those things take time to implement, right? Right. The child is used to having a, being breastfed. It takes a little time to implement. It's interesting to me that you
0: did navigate these big leaps in your career though, right? Because I don't want Kate to feel like she can't pursue advancing her career while having a child. Because you went from graduation day, to your first job out of college, to starting your own business, to going to law school. What were the biggest challenges of
2: navigating all of those shifts as a single mom? You know, right now, it's hard for me to really remember how difficult things were. As I mentioned to you, I was tired for months. I was tired for probably four or five months after my baby was born. And I never had an opportunity to get enough rest because it was just me. And I'm the one that who had to do everything. And when you have a baby, they wake up a lot (laughs) in the middle of the night. So those are also things that you have to be aware of. I just did what I needed to do. In a way, I didn't stop to think sometimes about what's my next move going to be? What am I going to do? I'm, Mm. I'm just going to take care of my baby. I'm going to earn enough money to have a roof over our head. And as a single mom, of course, I did take advantage of the WIC program, the Women, Infant, and Child program, and some of those other programs that help you when you're a single mom or when you're not making a whole lot of money to take care of your child. And so I did take advantage of, of those programs. That was really helpful. And I I think uh, any other, you know, women who are listening to this podcast and are in the same situation, there are programs that help and there's no shame in applying to those programs and using them because that's what they're there for. And, and the people who run the programs That's what they want to do is they want to help children have a good start.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. And so you're going through law school trying to make ends meet, right? Relying on some public assistance during that time and student loans, which I think so many of us can relate to. What about those experiences do you feel are going to make you a better member of Congress or a member of Congress who really represents everyday people?
2: Yes. Well, when you look around District 1, I would venture to guess that 99% of the people who live here um have a story similar to mine. It's you know, it's called struggle. Yes, it's putting yourself through college. You know, I got some scholarships from my Indian tribe when I went to UNM. I was very grateful for that. However, A lot of times it isn't enough. So you still need to take out student loans, which is what I did. And I'm still paying off student loans from my undergraduate degree. Aren't we all, Deb? (laughs) Aren't we all? I feel like that's like a lot of us are in that boat. Yes. President Obama didn't finish paying off his student loans till he was in the White House, I think, or something like that, right? Just a couple of um, years before,
0: but yeah, it's wild. It's wild.
2: Yes. I, I guess that's just a fact of life right now. So in law school, I happened to, we had a three bedroom house and I always rented out one of the rooms to our house. It was a house I was renting from my sister. So if I had to be late with the rent or something like that, she was very understanding. That was helpful to me a lot of the times, but we always rented out a room. So I always had another law student. Or an undergraduate student, or or some sort of student living with my daughter and I during that time, because we needed the money, and it just made life more interesting, also, right? Yeah, <laughs> because um, you bring in someone else into your home, and they have a dog or whatever. But it, you know, it's it's just the way things are. And my daughter, she got used to that. Yeah, you know, she can get up and move to a different location in the blink of an eye. She's used to getting used to things and things are never stagnated with her because uh, as long as she's been with me, that's what has happened. You know, we've always had lived an interesting life. I love how you put that. I wanted to pick up on that for a moment because
0: it almost sounds like one of Kate's underlying concerns when she's choosing whether to make a big career transition or pursue a different job or, you know, hold her life steady so that she can start a family, we have this underlying assumption that children thrive in this super controlled, constant environment. And I'm no parenting expert, but, you know, tell us about your daughter. Tell us about what those life experiences taught her. And, and is, you know, it's a hustle for so many of us, but I wonder what that impact is on our children.
2: Yeah, I think they get used to different situations. When I was in law school and I, you know, picked her up from her school and brought her back to school with me when I had class, I would send her down into the commons room. You know, sometimes there were student events there and maybe they would have some food out or whatever, and she would just go down there and sort of join the fun, fix herself a plate. (laughs) Uh Eat something you know she just got used to sort of blending into these different events and you know situations, and it made her really outgoing quite frankly, so i thought I thought that was good and When I really started getting involved in politics and taking her with me uh when I was campaigning, Bill Clinton came to the National Hispanic Cultural Center here in Albuquerque back in two thousand four. I believe it was, and I woke her up at six in the morning. And we went down and stood in line for three hours so that we could get at the front of the stage. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's good for a kid <laughs> to make them stand in line that way. For me, it was always, you'll thank me when you're older. You'll yeah. thank me when you're older that you got to hear, you know, Bill Clinton speak, you know, three feet away from where you were standing. You know, all of these things, I've just sort of made her participate in a way. Yeah, she's knocked on doors with me lots of times. She's registered voters. She in 2012, she became an Obama fellow because she was so used to being on campaigns that she thought, well, this is just one more way for me to, you know, do something. And then she ended up being the youngest person on the national delegation for the Democratic National Convention in 2012. I kind of talked her into running for a seat. (sighs) I love and it. And she did, and she did, and she thanked me in the end. I always tell you, you'll thank me in the end. And <laughs> she, you know, she'll she'll do it. This speaks to me
0: so directly because I distinctly remember being young enough to be hoisted onto my father's shoulders at my first political rally, and it mm-hmm. happened to also be with Bill Clinton. And I think this was in the early '90s, and those moments stick with you, right? I mean, I've become more politically involved and I became a professional politico in part because of how my parents exposed me to civic engagement. So, you know, you've been an activist for 20 plus years. You've been the chairwoman of the Democratic Party of New Mexico. You ran for lieutenant governor in 2014. Why is being politically engaged so important to you and and why now in this in this moment?
2: Well, because... It matters who we have in elected office, Mm. because we see what's happening right now. And I think, you know, you can have all the activism in the world. You can have moms fighting for gun reform. You can have, you know, veterans fighting for, uh, you know, benefits. And like, we're all fighting for something, right? We're all out there protesting and carrying signs. And, you know, we want to save these poor kids. Right. who are being separated from their parents right now. We can be the strongest, most active activists in the world, but unless we have people who can make the right decisions for us in those elected positions, it's very difficult to get the change you need. Absolutely. So I have always felt very strong. I have a passion for voting. I have a passion for getting people to the polls, and that's why I have spent many years in Indian country, for example, in our rural communities here in New Mexico, uh, making sure that people who live in those small rural communities understand that their vote means something to all of us and encouraging them, you know, to get out and vote, driving people to the polls, cooking and inviting people to come over so that they'll listen, you know, listen to you or, or whatever it is that you're doing to get the attention of people. Because I just want a better world for my daughter. I brought her into this world and she is my priority. And even now she's, she's 24 years old, she is still my priority and I want her to have a better world to live in. Yeah. So that's always been very important to me.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the children at the border as well. That's such a heartbreaking thing for all of us to witness these past few weeks And I read somewhere, I think I saw you give an interview that was really enlightening and and shocking to me because it's okay for us to be outraged. But I know a lot of folks, especially on my liberal Twitter sphere, who are saying it's not okay to be surprised because, as much as we love America, land of opportunity, we also have a history as a nation of not providing that equal opportunity to everyone all the time. And it sounds like your family history experienced some family separation as well. Tell us about that. And what are you hoping to do about things like that, about making sure that everyone feels enfranchised when you're in Congress?
2: I mean, I wish we could learn from our history, but oftentimes it doesn't work that way. But sure, my grandmother and her dad before her were taken away from their homes and sent to Indian boarding school. And in my grandmother's case, she stayed there for five years without coming home from the time she was eight years old to the time she was 13. And so her dad was only able to go and visit her twice in those five years because he only had a horse and wagon and it was difficult for him to travel that far, uh, 100 or so miles uh, to go and see her. So family separation didn't benefit people back then. And it's not going to benefit them now, especially when we see that there is no plan for them to get these kids back together with their parents. So I think a lot of us are truly outraged. And in fact, there's already been, you know, something like three rallies here in Albuquerque. There'll be another one on Saturday, you know, rallies to bring attention to that issue. And we have to fight harder. We have to get people in office who believe in a humane manner of implementing immigration policy. Yeah. And so that is what I will definitely fight for. It's a good reminder that all
0: politics is really personal. All politics is local, I think is how the saying goes. But at the end of the day, it's not just about power. It's not about money. Although those two things are a part of doing this, right? They're a part of running for office. A huge part of being a public servant, is serving the people. And I think it's so important for us to keep our eye on the prize there. I wanna go back to something you mentioned that I think speaks to Kate's question as well. A lot of women listening to this podcast, perhaps they want to help make the world a better place. Perhaps they care a lot about these issues, but they're not sure how to make those issues a priority in their already jam-packed lives. And you say, you know, you make your daughter a priority. She's always been a priority. How, how have you achieved so much, right? Like you've, you've done so much with your life. You've been, you know, you went from parents who didn't go to college to graduating from law school to starting your own business to making this all work as a single mom and running for office.
2: How right. do you make that work? Sometimes, I, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I wonder, how did I make it work? Geez. You know, once my daughter got a little bit older, things got a little easier. Yeah. When they're babies, they have your attention 24-7. When they get a little bit older and they're able to do more things on their own, it's great. I taught her how to cook. I bought things that she could cook on her own or that she could microwave. You know, there were things that we did uh, uh, together uh, so that she could take care of herself to a certain degree. I taught her how to ride the city bus. We both got on the city bus a couple times and rode from point A to point B. So she would know how to get there on the city bus. So she learned how to ride the city bus in case she was in a place where she needed to get home and I couldn't go pick her up right then. She knew how to get on a bus and get home. So those were things that we navigated together. It was kind of cute. I started putting her on airplanes by herself when she was five. Wow. Uh, she Like, she would go visit my sister for a week in the summer when she was five years old. And then eventually, you know, she was just kind of flying back and forth. And I asked her one time, are you okay with this? Is it, <laughs> you know, are you, scared? are you scared to get on the plane by yourself? Or or how are you feeling about this? And she said, well, I'm just worried about one thing. And I said, what is that? And she says, what if I get lost on the plane? <laughs> And I said, you can't get lost on the plane because it's just, you know, you can't go anywhere. Once you get on the plane, it's just this small, essentially little capsule and you won't get lost on there because the attendants will always find you. That's so great. Right? There's nowhere you can get lost. And she was like, oh, okay, like this had bothered her for a couple of trips and she never spoke up about it. So it's sort of like, you know, a child's mind, you yeah. just have to, explore that so they feel comfortable in everything that they're doing. I felt like the more independent she was, the better it would be for both of us. And she would never feel uncomfortable in a situation. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah. Well, I and mean, quite frankly, I, I even taught her how to drive when she was really young. Uh, we'd go out to my mom's on the Laguna Pueblo where there's dirt roads out there. And when she was 10 years old, I better, you know, I let her drive a little bit because I thought you just never know what kind of situation you'd be in, right? And so she should know how a car works. That and so those are all things that we that that I taught her. I just felt like the more she knew, the better off she yeah. would be.
0: Well, you gave and her wings, so- right? You weren't one to clip her wings. I mean, again, this is not a parenting podcast, so I don't want to invite the legions of opinions i'm sure our folks will have on parenting but it is an interesting take that we've been taught that moms need to sort of coddle and care for our little ones but what a different lesson for a child to grow up for your daughter deb to grow up seeing mom the law student seeing mom the entrepreneur mom the delivery person who's making the salsa delivery is on top of making the whole business work, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. And now seeing mom run for Congress. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting way of flipping those notions that Kate seems to have heard, which is, you know, God forbid, she should be the woman who gets a new job and then takes maternity leave in a few months. You know, like there's nothing really wrong with that unless you believe that it is impossible for us to do the job of being a mom and be anything
2: else to anyone else, right? Yes, I think Kate should dive in. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah, and it seems to have served you well. There's there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing more joyful than being a mother. I love being a mother. I've always loved, I love being pregnant. I love being a mother. It's a wonderful experience. When your child says their first words, they take their first steps. I mean, it's, everything's wonderful about it. And so I think that you'll realize how much, you know, how powerful you are Mm. when you're faced with some of these things, right? And you'll inherently figure out what's the best thing for me to do for my child and for myself. And for me, all I really cared about is that she was happy and that she was healthy. And she could be happy and healthy. While I put her in her stroller and knocked on doors, you know, while I was canvassing, she was happy and healthy, even complaining that she had to wait in line three hours to go see Bill Clinton. Uh, But, you know, they just learn these lessons along the way. As parents, we will always find a way to make our kids happy and healthy, regardless of what we do. I love that.
0: And I love the idea that someone with that perspective might be helping to shape the laws in our nation. It's obvious to me that we need more moms, more women, more people of color, and certainly the first Native American in the nation's largest governing body. So Deb, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy campaign schedule. What's next for you in this final push to November?
2: Well, you know, there's a lot of facets to a campaign. We were very happy to roll out uh, the endorsement of Senator Elizabeth Warren this morning. So that was fun. We're raising money. We're getting volunteers are coming in the doors. We're signing people up to make phone calls and knock on doors for my campaign. We've joined forces with some other candidates here in New Mexico. So We'll kind of combine our forces and get out there and make sure that we're getting our voters to the polls. You know, it's like 133 days until the election, so we're going to make every minute count.
0: Learn more and contribute to Deb's candidacy at deb And
2: now it's
0: time for today's Boss Moves Moment of the Week.
1: This is Emily from Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to share my boss move of the week. So I took a part-time job for the summer, and I realized that the pay really wasn't worth my time. And so I asked and said, hey, this is really the amount I would take for a summer job. And they were like, okay, well, that seems all right. And I decided to take the job and realized within my first paycheck week of being there that they had given me what I had asked for initially. So just not being afraid to ask for what I think my time and my value is worth at work really made a difference. And I think this podcast and hearing Smimsy, um has really helped encourage that in me. So thank you so much, Emily and the Boss Up community. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing, Boss. We are cheering you on because you never know who you are inspiring when you share your own come-up story. If you've got a Boss Moves moment to share, give our hotline a ring right now and leave your voicemail at 910-668-2677. And I want to acknowledge that it can feel a little weird to hear your own voice on a voicemail machine, or it might be a little nerve wracking to brag about yourself and relish your own achievements. But y'all, there's a reason for that. It's not how we are conditioned to talk about ourselves as women. So this segment of the show is so important to me because by calling in, not only are you tooting your own horn a little bit and getting more comfortable talking positively about yourself, but you're also modeling the behavior that I want other women to be inspired by, to take stock of our successes, not just to be striving to get better all the time, and to actually be able to talk positively about ourselves without getting all squeamish. So even if you're hesitant to call in, even if you've been thinking about it and putting it off, I implore you to pick up the phone today, leave me a voicemail, and let's get your boss moves moment, the time on this podcast it deserves. That number again is 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Thanks again for tuning in. I am so into this community of listeners that we've been cultivating. The reviews that have been coming in on Apple podcasts have been making me weepy as I review them once a week. So thank you. I'm so glad to hear that the way we put this show together is working for you is providing the resources you need to get bossed up and you inspire me to keep going each and every day if there's anything you want us to tackle next or any suggestions you have for the podcast i love to hear it so don't hesitate to hit me up on social media at emily aries or boss.org in the meantime keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org slash speakup. That's up.org slash speakup.